Man, praise the Lord. Uh, if this is your first time at Reality, <laughs> listen, my name is, is uh, Carlos and I'm one of the pastors here. And I want you to know that wherever you are in your journey of faith, uh, that this is a safe place to explore your faith. And I'm praying that the Lord will speak to you as we, um, as we continue to look um, at his word. And so we've been in a series about prayer. Um, and um, man, this is now um, our fifth week. And I'm hoping that this time, especially if you joined us over the past five weeks, has helped you to connect with God and to grow in your relationship with God in a special way. And so uh, I'm going to pray for us just before we look at this text and then um, we'll go on. Father, um, I praise you, Lord, for what you're doing. I thank you that we get to hear a testimony uh, this morning of your work in our lives, Lord. Would you increase our faith, Father? Would you open our eyes and ears today? I pray that as we dive into this topic of forgiveness, um, Lord, that you would help us to be a people who are forgiving. Would you heal us, Lord? Would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Augustine, who was um, one of the greatest theologians that ever lived, he called this petition in the Lord's Prayer the terrible petition. Look at what Jesus says in verse 11, in, in chapter 11 of Luke, one more time. He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And do you see that? Forgive us our sin, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. Forgiveness is the kind of topic that breeds high levels of emotion in the human heart because it forces us to bring up memories to the surface that we'd rather bury in the palace of our imagination, right? Can you still remember the harrowing sting of a friend who betrayed you? Can you remember the words that seemed to fly out of your mouth so easily and you tried catching them as you said them before they obliterated the person that you loved? As much as we've thought about forgiveness, some of us also know that Unforgiveness is almost equal to sickness. In fact, the Journal of the American College of Cardiology did a study on the harmful effects of anger and hostility produced by unforgiveness. And guess what they found? It increases your risk for coronary heart disease. In other words, unforgiveness literally makes your heart sick. It's bad for your heart. And many of us know intuitively that this is true. And yet, we still don't know how to get to a place of forgiveness. Because how do we maintain a sense of justice and also practice forgiveness at the same time? 
And part of the reason why some of us struggle to forgive is because we want to hold accountable those who inflicted so much pain, but yet at the same time, we find ourselves trying to exercise the most essential quality almost of a Jesus follower, the central message of Christianity, which is about forgiveness. Have you felt that? This theme is so central to Jesus that out of all of the things that he could have picked for the short prayer, he picked forgiveness. It's so vital to him that he taught us to pray about forgiveness daily. The reason Augustine called it a terrible petition, by the way, is because if you and me pray for our sins to be forgiven, but we don't actually forgive those who have wronged us, we're actually asking God not to forgive us. Look at what Matthew says, Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew says, Jesus says this in Matthew, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown what? Mercy. Look at what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Famous preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon once said, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. So part of the question for you and for me this morning is, how do you pray the Lord's Prayer sincerely? How do we experience forgiveness and also extend forgiveness to others? Jesus says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. How do we experience forgiveness and how do we forgive others? Well, number one, if you're taking down notes, you have to start by looking in the mirror. Start by looking in the mirror. Isn't it true that we tend to have a better image of ourselves than we have of other people? Like uh, when we do something wrong to somebody else, when we wrong somebody, you know what oftentimes we tell ourselves? We'll say things like this. You know, man, I messed up, but I'm not a bad person. I still love you. Come on. I want to work this out. I know what's in my heart. I'm good at the end of the day, but I know I messed up. I, I wish I hadn't done that. But when when we start talking about other people, what do we do? We say, man, I thought they were a good person, but after this, they're terrible. You see, we, we have mercy on ourselves because we think we know ourselves better than we know somebody else. It's funny, this whole week I've been thinking about forgiveness, and I started focusing on like, hey, how do we forgive other people? And there's so much in the corpus of biblical literature about forgiveness. And I started thinking about tools to forgive others. And then the Lord reminded me just as I prayed the Lord's Prayer, yeah, cool, you got to start with you. <laughs> you start with looking at yourself. That's why the beginning of the prayer says, and forgive us our sins. That's why Jesus tells a parable. He tells a story 
about an unforgiving servant. In Matthew 18, there is a servant that goes up to his master and he owes him like a million dollars, essentially. And he tells him that he can't pay him back to please have mercy on himself, uh, to please have mercy on him, and, and, and please, would you forgive the loan that I gave you and the master is merciful. And you know what he does? He forgives the servant's debt. But if you've read the story, do you know what happens? Do you know what the servant does? On the way out, he's walking out and he sees somebody that owes him a hundred bucks. He's just been forgiven a million. And he chokes out this man, all right, BJJ style, okay? And this is what he does. He says, listen, if you better pay me this debt now. The friend, the co-worker, can't pay the debt. He puts him in prison in order to pay the debt. And other people are amazed that this man has experienced mercy, and yet he can't give mercy to other people. And so Jesus tells the story. These servants go back to the master, and they tell him what happened. And this is what the master says to him. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And he puts him away. And it says in the scriptures that he is tormented because of the decision that he made. You see, we tend to minimize the sin in our lives and we tend to maximize the sin in other people's lives. Did you get that? We tend to minimize our own sin and maximize other people's sin. And when we do that, we minimize the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. See, one of the ways that you and me see our sin is by just reading the scripture. James says, in fact, he compares reading the Bible and not doing anything about it as a person who is staring in the mirror of the scripture. And they see all of the things that are wrong and they just kind of walk away without doing anything about it. Haven't you ever been there? Haven't you ever read the Bible heard the gospel, heard about sin, and you were just like that person, you looked in the mirror, and you're like, okay, I'm just going to walk away. And you didn't do anything about it. That's what James says. The moment you look at your sin in the mirror, it should alert you to one truth, that the debt that God had against you is greater than the debt that other people have against you. Every time, the debt that God has against you is greater than the debt that people have against you. Now, this doesn't mean that God minimizes what happened to you. That's why he's asking us to pray about forgiveness on a daily basis. Because we know he anticipated relational tension between human beings. He knew the power of unforgiveness in our hearts. All you have to do to realize your own sinfulness is you can pray the Lord's Prayer and see the ways in which you've even failed to confess what you read. For instance, when you pray, Our Father, but you live a life of lies, and you're lying to people sometimes to please them or lying to people because you want to hide from your sin, you know what you're doing? Instead of living out your identity as a son of your heavenly father, you're actually living out the identity of a son of a father of lies. And who is the father of lies in the scriptures? 
Satan. Instead of acting like a child of God, you're literally acting like a child of the devil. Then you say, hallowed be your name. Oh my goodness. And you want to declare his holiness. And you come in here and you lift up your hands and you sing to him while living a life of impurity and like sexual perversion. And you're doing all of these different things. And what happens? You're desecrating what God built. In other words, your life says the opposite of the prayer. We are a sinful people. Jesus Christ came to die for these sins. When you pray your kingdom come, but all you care about is the plans that you have for your life. You don't care about the kingdom of God, but you say that you're a Christian, but you live as if though God doesn't exist and it's all about your agenda and not God's agenda. Guess what? Jesus came to die for that. It's that kind of sin that put Jesus on the cross. You pray, man, give us today our daily bread. But truly, at the end of the day, you don't trust in his provision, and you're just self-reliant. That is sin. That's the sin we're looking at in the mirror in our lives. And we're grateful that Jesus Christ paid a price for that so that we could be set free from that. Amen? Some of you who are curious about God, maybe you're here and you're exploring Christianity, and you're like, man, I, I, I am... I still don't believe and I'm still curious about Jesus and I've been in church and, and I don't really know what I believe. Man, I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, could it be that part of the reason why you haven't trusted in Jesus is because you still don't see the gravity of your sin? Could it be that, hey, guess what? You, you're, you're curious about who God is, but you can't draw near to him because you're blind. You think, right, biblically speaking, that you're just a really good person that doesn't really need uh, saving. How much more does God have to show you? How much more does God have to prove uh, to you? How much more love does he have to display for you? Maybe you say, you know what, Carlos, I just, I need a sign. And I understand, I've been there myself. And then I started reading the scripture and I realized that Jesus Christ, he showed up all of these signs to people and they still didn't believe. Because at the end of the day, friend, listen, if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, it takes faith to believe in Jesus. He's given us a lot of proof. The grave is empty. He resurrected from the grave. He came to die for your sins. Think about it. The world has been changed upside down through a man who held no political office. He had no military. And the reason it's 2024 is because Christ came 2,000 years ago. And he invites you to look in the mirror and to see that you are the first person that needs forgiveness. That in order for you to be able to actually experience what it looks like to forgive other people, you yourself have to experience the forgiveness of God. Have you experienced that forgiveness? That's how the prayer begins. It says, forgive us our debts. See, forgiveness starts with looking in the mirror. There's something that happens when our hearts are softened, when we realize that God has had mercy towards us, our perspective begins to change towards those who have inflicted pain in our lives. But here's a second point. How do you experience forgiveness and how do you extend it? You start by looking in the mirror, but number two, you decide to release the debt that you are owed. 
You make a decision to release the debt that you are owed. Forgiveness is releasing somebody from the debt they owe you. When you say, I forgive you, you know what you're saying? You don't owe me anything anymore. When somebody hurts you, when somebody sins against you, they have just incurred a relational debt. This is why human beings, we have a sense of justice and restitution, don't we? We want to make things right. You've taken something from me, and I need you to pay me back. So the reason why forgiveness is a miracle and why it's so costly is because you are the person that ends up paying the debt for the sin that was committed against you. It's so hard to do that in our cultural moment, isn't it? To forgive. We, in fact, we live in a time where the concept of forgiveness is not very popular. The concept of forgiveness now is actually seen as negative. I remember in 2006, maybe you saw the story, there was a gunman who took hostages in this one-room Amish schoolhouse in Nickel Mines in Pennsylvania, and it was a devastating story. This man shot 10 kids, ages seven to 13, five of them died, and then he decided to take his own life. The shocking part of the story wasn't only the brutal murder of these kids, but then within hours, the Amish community visited the killer's immediate family and his parents, and each time they started expressing sympathy for their loss. The Amish uniformly expressed forgiveness of the murderer and the family, and the forgiveness and love shown toward the shooter and his family were like, it was crazy, right? It amazed so many different people. And so numerous voices started calling for Americans to emulate the Amish and become a more forgiving people. Yet at the same time, years later, there was a book published about this particular issue. And part of what we learned from that book is that we live in a moment where rather than practicing forgiveness, our culture kind of relishes the opportunity to publicly destroy those who have hurt us. We live in a culture not of justice, but a culture of revenge, where it must be exacted by the will of those who live in a social media world. I wonder what you and I would do today if the person that we had to forgive was Paul himself. Paul in the scriptures was a man who was a murderer. He killed and persecuted Christians before God changed his life around. How would you respond if it had been your family, the one that had been affected by Paul, if he had taken one of your family members and persecuted them and destroyed your family, would you have had the response of forgiveness toward this man that God used so mightily in the New Testament? <clears throat> Forgiving Paul would mean releasing him from the debt that he owed to you and your family. So for you, if you want to practice forgiveness, you're going to have to make a decision. We're going to have to make a decision.
Are we going to trust what God says about forgiveness and justice? Or are we going to trust in what we think is the right thing to do? Let's be clear. There are people right now that do not deserve your forgiveness. But Jesus is inviting you into the gospel, right, to himself, to release them from the debt that they owe you. Some people have said unforgiveness is like drinking a poison, waiting for somebody else to die. Part of the challenge is that right now we have two dominant views of, uh, of forgiveness. We have this view of therapeutic forgiveness. This is the kind of view that essentially says, you know what, you have to forgive somebody um, because it's just good for you, right? Have you heard of this view? You, you just, you let go, man. Let, let it go. Let it go and, and, and practice patience. And it's about essentially practicing uh, peace within your emotions. This is not the biblical view. We don't just let people go and not care about justice at all. Amen? Uh, there's also this other view of like merited forgiveness. Merited forgiveness versus therapeutic forgiveness is the kind of style that says, if you change completely, then I will forgive you. I will forgive you when you have suffered as much as I have suffered. But in Christianity, forgiveness is made of two parts. And this is very important for you and for me. Because you see, at the cross, something really interesting happens. Justice and mercy are held together. This is not very common. Jesus Christ, on the cross, what does he do? He satisfies the wrath of God for your sin. Because remember, the debt that you owe God is greater than the debt that others owe you. And yet at the same time, on the cross is not only justice met, but then also mercy is extended to you. The blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And so then forgiveness, biblically speaking, has two steps. Number one, if you want to extend forgiveness and if you're ready to make that decision today of forgiving somebody else, the first step you must take is you have to forgive them in your heart. That's the way the parable of the unforgiven servant begins, uh, ends. It says essentially, hey, Jesus calls us to forgive people in our hearts. That before we actually approach the person, we have dealt with the Lord's prayer. We have gone to heaven and asked for the power of forgiveness. And we have forgiven them before the Lord. But then I want you to see what Luke says. Here's the second part of forgiveness. Luke writes, hey, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, then you must forgive him. Right? The second part of forgiveness, if you caught that, is repentance. In other words, for forgiveness and reconciliation to take place, in order for that to happen, the person must accept the gift of forgiveness. Do you see? Our theologians have explained it like this. Forgiveness is a gift. You can forgive somebody in your heart, but if the person doesn't see how they have hurt you and there's no repentance, then they're the ones that are not completing the cycle of forgiveness. That's what it means to be reconciled to somebody else, right? So some people say, hey, you can have forgiveness, but not reconciliation. Do you see that? 
It's two steps. Number one, you forgive in your heart. The second step is you extend the offer of forgiveness. That's how you, that's how you do both mercy and justice at the same time. You forgive somebody in their heart, and then you're helping them to see how they have wronged you. Now, what do you do when that person is unsafe and you cannot do that? What do you do when you cannot forgive somebody or they simply don't see what happened to you? You see, um, there are times on this side of heaven where it's not going to be possible to experience reconciliation. This is what Romans tells us. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. In other words, it's going to be possible to not live in peace with somebody. If it was up to you, it'd be possible, but because of their behavior, it's impossible. Because of their abuse, it might be impossible. Because of the threat they may pose to your life, it might be impossible. Because of your family, it may be impossible. But what is possible is the decision that you can make to release them from the debt that they owe you. But Carlos, you say, I'm not ready to forgive because I don't really feel it in my body. Friend, I've been there. I understand what that looks like. I'm not trying to rush you to a place of forgiveness. What I am trying to help you see is what the scripture teaches us about that. See, forgiveness is granted before it is felt. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that you never think about it again. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that all of those emotions are suddenly wiped away. But forgiveness is and can be a promise. Forgiveness can be a promise. You can say, hey, it's a promise that you're not going to throw it in the person's face. Forgiveness is a promise that, hey, I'm going to choose to not destroy the reputation. Forgiveness is a promise that says, okay, I'm not going to bring it up to myself if I can. Of course, depending on the wound, this may take a really uh, a short time or a longer time. What is true is this. Listen, forgiveness is a decision to release somebody else from the debt that they owe you. Is there somebody today in your life that owes you a particular debt because of what they've done that you need to release today before the Lord? Number three, and I gotta hurry. I want you to see this insight that unforgiveness oftentimes in the Bible is connected to demonic activity. A friend showed me this a couple of years ago and I couldn't get it out of my mind, there are several passages in the scriptures that seem to connect unforgiveness with the work of Satan. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 10. Anyone you forgive, this is Paul speaking, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, is for your benefit in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by who? By Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. There's a connection between the schemes of the enemy and unforgiveness. Look, in Ephesians chapter 4, a classic passage on forgiveness. Be angry and do not sin. They tell this to couples all the time in premarital counseling. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, but don't miss this verse. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Do you see the connection? There's a connection between unforgiveness and the demonic. And when I say demonic, I don't mean like 
the overtly demonic, like you're watching The Exorcist and somebody's twisting heads around, okay? There is, <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, there is overt demonic activity, and then there's covert demonic activity. Especially here in the West, what we see is a lot of covert demonic activity. So here's what unforgiveness does. If earth, if earth is the place between heaven and hell, and heaven is the place of forgiveness, and hell is the place of unforgiveness, then what you do when you harbor unforgiveness in your life is you're literally pulling hell up into your life. But when you choose to forgive and you practice forgiveness, what you're doing is you're saying, your kingdom come in my life. On earth as it is in heaven, when you forgive, what you're doing is you're calling on God to pull heaven down, the place of forgiveness into your life and into this place. Do you see? There is a connection between unforgiveness and the demonic. When you are wronged by another person, listen, two things are possible. The first thing is that the wrong done to you will come out from you and then you'll pass it on to others. You've heard it maybe said in the past, hurt people do what? Hurt people, right? That is the way of the flesh and nature. The second is that the wrong that has been done to you will end with you. That you don't pass it on to others. And that is the way of grace. Something better than a world of endless retaliation is possible through the power of Jesus Christ. Are you holding unforgiveness in your heart? When you hold that inside your heart, it starts to become and grow into bitterness. And that can kill your spiritual life and your relationships. And maybe you say, but Carlos, I can't do it, man. I don't have the strength. And on your own, you're right. You don't. Forgiveness is a miracle. And it takes the power of God to see this fully realized. Which is why Jesus invites us to pray for it. Do you need to pray for that? Maybe for you, the place you need to start is just by looking in the mirror. And what you need this morning is forgiveness from Jesus Christ. And the second place is, of course, you need his grace to be able to extend it to others. Do you want to experience that freedom today? If you do, why don't you just, right where you're seated, why don't we just pray right now before the Lord? Why don't we trust him at his promises? Father, I want to pray right now, specifically for those who are here who, man, they've never experienced what it's like to be forgiven by you. Lord, I pray that, and if there's anyone here, Father, who hasn't trusted in you, who doesn't have a relationship with you, that they would see their sin and they would see how great a Savior you are, Lord. In fact, if you're here and you say, man, God, I, I want forgiveness for my sin and I want to trust in him, why don't you tell him right where you are? Why don't you say, Father, forgive me for my sin. I trust you. And then maybe there are others of you all over the room. Why don't you take this moment right now? You're like, man, you need freedom and forgiveness. You, you need to extend freedom to others. Maybe there are some of you who you haven't forgiven yourself for what you've done, and you need God to heal you. Why don't you, right where you're seated, why don't you open your hands like this, like we do if you're, if you're willing. 
if you're willing, why don't you open your hearts and begin to receive the grace of God as I pray. This is just an outward sign. There's nothing magical about this. Why don't you do this in your body and receive this blessing?